Thank you, Stu. There we go. Well, gang, I'm glad uh, glad you're here today. Before we begin, let me uh, make a couple comments to you. I want to remind all of our men, young men, our middle-aged men that are involved in our Counterfeit God study, that uh, this evening at 6.30 we have our class. begins at 6.30 if you're not involved in that and you'd like to be. I invite you to come and join us at 6.30 in the Fellowship Hall. We're going through a book by Tim Keller called Counterfeit Gods. An incredible study. We're just beginning. We're in chapter 1, so if you want to come, you won't miss much, okay? Second thing I want to do before we take the Word and open the Scriptures is I want to commend you. Gang, I don't tell you, Wednesday night, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we had a bunch of folks. When we started on Wednesday, and we weren't sure exactly how many we were going to have, because other, you know, it was Halloween, and other churches were having them things, and so we actually didn't cut, uh, cook as many hot dogs as we thought. I think we only cooked around 900. Uh, we ran out. We should have cooked 1,200. What was exciting for me was, though, we got to give all these kids a whole lot of sugar and send them home. And, uh, you know, in my mind, I was wondering, I wonder what it's going to be like at their home tonight, you know? But what a good night, and I, I want to tell our classes, uh, tell those of you that are involved, uh, what an incredible expression of a wonderful church to, uh, to do that. Some of you really looked strange, okay, but you were good, and what a, what a, what a great, great night. Amen. You did good. Well, let's take our Bible this morning, okay? And I want you to go all the way to the beginning of your Bible. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 3 with me, okay? Genesis chapter 3, for the last several weeks with the election looming in front of us, I've tried to challenge you to kind of look at your worldview. Now, your worldview is that which dictates your decisions in life, and your worldview is that which kind of sets the direction of your life. And over the course of the last several weeks, let me tell you what my, my intent has been. My intent has been to challenge that you take scriptures, maybe some of the stories that we've looked at in the scriptures, and apply them to your life and to see if your worldview is actually a biblical worldview. Because I think if we're going to live right, if we're going to do right, if the church is going to be right, then it's important that our views of the world, those views that determine how we make our decisions, square up with scriptures. And so I've tried to challenge you in that in the last several weeks, and we've just simply looked at some Bible stories, stories that all of us have grown up with. If you've been to church at all, stories that you've heard some old gray-headed preacher uh, talk to you about. And I want to do that again today. Okay? We're going to kind of finish that theme up. Tuesday's election, you better vote, amen? I've voted three times already. Okay, So uh, we'll finish that theme up. But let me tell you what I want to do. We're going back to a story, again, that you've heard. Genesis 3 is not new to you. And I want to go back, though, and begin us thinking about, reading about man's slide into depravity. And before we read, I want you to listen to me. I just told the first service, look at my nose for a moment, okay? 
What I want you to understand is that there are those today, those that are standing in pulpits today, those that have some kind of forum today, that are telling you that man started out bad, but man has now begun to get better, and man is on a, an upward climb of getting better and better and better. And if you'll listen, especially to some of the TV guys, that's what you're going to hear. But dear people, listen. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible is the opposite of that. What Genesis 3 is going to tell us today is that man started out real good. Man started out perfect. And yet because of sin, willfully choosing to sin, man took a direction away from God. Man's not getting better, man's getting worse until God intervenes in that person's life. Apart from the sovereign grace of God, man is not getting better, man's getting worse. And only God can restore what was lost in the garden. And that restoration only comes not through the good works of man. Not by trying to be a good person and climbing some kind of ladder of good deeds and success. That restoration, that reconciliation comes through God's grace manifested in His Son, Jesus Christ. Now I want you to understand that because it's a completely different perspective. The world will say we're getting better. The world will say we're climbing up. But the Bible tells us the best we ever had was in the garden. And man willfully chose to sin. And man lost. And man can only be restored through a cross where the Savior shed his blood for sin. Now let me tell you what my, my goal is today, okay? Number one, I want to show you from Genesis 3 how the enemy operates, how the enemy works against you. And I, you guys need to really pay attention because he's after you. He's after, if you're married, he's after your spouse. If you have kids, he's after your kids. And I'm here to tell you he is after our nation. And so the first thing we want to do today is we want to discover how the enemy works against us. Number two, I want to touch on the result of that work and then close with some action steps to help you guard against the enemy. Some things that you might consider. Some things you might chew on. Some things you might use to evaluate your life to see how you stack up in this idea that man is getting better or man is getting worse and how the Bible can help you live your life the way God intends it to live. But listen, gang, you can't live that way. You can't live right until you know who the enemy is. Until you understand who you are. 
until you understand who God is and how God does for you what you can never, ever do for yourself. Now, I know there's going to be some hard things today, okay? Uh, that's okay with me. Uh, you're going to hear some things I don't think you're really going to like, and that's okay with me. I'll tell you what you will hear. You will hear Bible truth. And you're going to have to determine how you're going to shake that out in your life. I can tell you, if you pay attention not to Tom, but if you pay attention to the Holy Spirit, you're going to be a better person from it. If you don't, you won't. It's that simple, okay? Genesis chapter 3, would you stand in honor of God's Word? And let's read... Um, Verses 1 through 11. Now, I want you to be sure to keep your Bible open because there's some other things we'll probably, well, we will look at. But we'll begin Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said that you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, from, every, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The servant said to the woman, this was his first attack, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw... Now, verse 6 is important. I'll, I'm going to come back to it. That's why I want you to keep your Bible open. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. She was deceived, he chose. That's why sin is against Adam and all of the Adamic race. Okay? It's not Eve. It's Adam that God charges with the introduction of sin, universal sin, into our world. Then, verse 7, the Bible says, The eyes of both of them were opened. And then now notice, they knew that they were naked, and so they began this cover-up. I'm going to talk about that. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, notice, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, Well, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, Who told you? that you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Father, I 
pray for help today. This is very important for us. It's important for us to understand that apart from your grace, we're doomed. It's important for us to understand the attack of the enemy. Help us to be wise. The Bible said, if you like wisdom, ask of God. And today, Father, I want to ask wisdom for myself as I share, wisdom for our people as they hear. Because this is garden stuff. This is basic stuff. We've got to understand it. And we've got to appropriate your truth. Our nation, Father, so desperately needs to come back. Our churches so desperately need to come back. Our churches made up of not bricks and mortar, but people who have souls so desperately need to come back to Jehovah God. Help us to do that in our own lives this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Be seated, okay? Someone once said that if there had been no Genesis chapter 3, there would have been no need of the Bible. I kind of like that. It didn't take long, did it, before man corrupted what God created. And we've been battling this corruption ever since. One day, beloved, restoration will come. One day, reconciliation will take place. But it's not going to happen till he that which is perfect comes. Or perhaps if he tarries, it won't happen till we die and go to be with him. I'm so thankful to stand here and tell you that through Jesus Christ and the blood of the cross, one day everything will be reconciled. And there'll be full restoration. But let's don't miss the truth that that's not going to happen until he comes, or we go to be with him. Therefore, on this side of eternity, you and I have our challenges in front of us. Well, I want you to look with me, verses 1 through 5, and let's begin seeing if we can discover how the enemy attacks us, okay? The first thing I saw in the first five verses is, first of all, that deception is subtle. Deception is subtle. You see, gang, Satan does not cause an explosion of standards. Satan works through an erosion of standards. You know, any major event we have in our country, our, our country's quick to respond. We saw it with the tragedy this last week. We hear of something, we respond quickly. That's who we are. That's Americans. But yet what I want you to understand that the enemy doesn't do that. He slowly dims the light. Ever so slowly, we begin seeing the slide of godliness and the slide of righteousness. And ever so slowly, we begin to see the slide of standards. Almost imperceptible, unless you're looking. And the only way you can look is through spiritual eyes. When I was a boy, one of the things, you know, TV, I mean, I was alive when TV was invented, okay? But one of the, it was black and white. 
One of the things that my family and I used to do is, is we would sit down on Friday. Daddy and Mom would make popcorn. And my sister, my brother, and I, we would all sit down and we'd watch TV. And we would never were embarrassed by anything that we saw. It was family night. It was wholesome. And we would eat popcorn and, and my mother would scratch my back and my daddy would hug us and we would just watch everything. There wasn't any Victoria's Secrets commercials going on. I'm telling you, gang, there'll be more pornography today when you go home and watch the halftime of the ball game than we ever had back then. You know why? Because Satan subtly begins to lower the standards where the lights begin to get turned down ever so slowly. And things that were so black and white 20, 30, 40, 100, 200 years ago now become increasingly dim. And the only way you're ever going to be able to notice it and see it and react to it is when you begin to look through spiritual eyes. Look at verse 1. See that word crafty there? I don't know what your translation. I use the New American Standard. I think it's the one Paul used back in the New Testament, okay? I'm teasing. Uh, but it says, now the serpent was more crafty. That word means cunning. It means to devise a scheme. He's a schemer. It's a word that can mean to take advantage of someone's ignorance. In other words, someone who doesn't know or doesn't think, hasn't come to terms with the way things really are. It can mean to be a fraud. It pictures a working behind a wall or a, a working behind a veil to accomplish an agenda by stealth. In other words, something sinister without being obvious. Church, that's what your enemy is doing today. That's what your enemy is trying to do in your life trying to do in your home, trying to do in your church, trying to do in this God-blessed nation that we call the United States of America. Now, what did he do? Well, we'll notice there these first few verses. The first attack was a doctrinal attack. He attacked the very character of God, Satan called God a liar. And we're buying into it in our country today. There was a great preacher, a writer, scholar of years gone by, by the name of A.W. Pink. He wrote this hundreds of years ago, but what he wrote hundreds of years ago is still true today. In discussing Genesis chapter 3, here's what he said. He said, the will of God was resisted. When we resist the will of God, we give in to the enemy. He said, the word of God was rejected. See, that's why I'm challenging you. Is your decisions that you make in your home, in the directions you go in your home, does it square with the Bible? For you see, the word of God was rejected. And when you reject the Word of God, then the way of God 
is always deserted. And then trouble ensues. Pink went on to say that the fall of man in the garden is the only possible explanation of the present condition of the human race. He said that a hundred years ago or so. And I want to say to you, that's as true today as it was when he wrote it hundreds of years ago. And it's still as true today as it was back in the garden that started the whole slide into human depravity. You see, dear people, Genesis 3 is where universal sin began. Here in a perfect garden, Eve was deceived. Adam chose. And from that point on, no one's been free from the deception, free from the disease. The Bible says, Romans 5.12, By one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Death passed to all men because everybody in this room has sinned. I talked to my grandkids on Skype the other day in Macedonia. Man, I was having such a good time. Maggie and Kayla were cutting up, having fun. And I said, oh, Jeff, they're such good kids. He said, well, I had to spank one of them. Why would he spank my grandkid? He's a sinner. And your sweethearts, I guarantee you Wednesday night when they went home with all that sugar in their system, hmm, some of you screamed at them, right? Why is that? Oh, because all have sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. It's a subtle deception by Satan. Oh, but dear people, it's a fatal attraction by man, when standards begin to erode. There's a second thing we, we find in this passage in Genesis chapter 3. The second one is dilution is dangerous. What does Satan do? Well, he began to water down truth, like I said. Now listen, if the Bible says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Say it louder. All right? If you know the truth, which is God's word, and the truth shall set you free, then what does watering down truth do? It enslaves you, doesn't it? It chains you, doesn't it? Last night, I, I went out walking around the Mills Park. I'm trying to lose some weight. Can you tell it? Well, I just started. And I was walking around the track, and I was thinking about this message and some of the things that I wanted to say, you know, and what I felt like maybe God would want me to say. And let me tell you what I stumbled across in my mind. What hit me was, you know, I've never known a person who has given themselves over to alcohol. I've never known a person who has given themselves over to drugs. I've never known a person who has given themselves over to sex. Stand and say, this has fulfilled me. That this has been good for me. I, I've never heard anybody. I've never read that. I've never seen it on TV. That anybody that has given themselves over that kind of stuff said, I'm a better person for that. See, I have had people say, when I let alcohol go, when I let the drugs go, 
When I broke myself from those shackles of, uh, of sex, I became a better person. You know what sets you free? Truth sets you free, people. And so Satan tries to water it down. Satan tries to dilute it down. And when he does, we suffer. God, Eve, God, God says you're going to die. Ha, come on, Eve. You're not going to die. You're going to be like him. And immediately, God's standards begin to fall and Satan's lie begins to rise. And he got Eve to begin questioning God's objective truth. God's word. Thus says the Lord, she began to question. She began to inject her feelings and her emotions. And Satan got her. Look at, look at verse 6. I said that's an important verse. It, very is, it is. When the woman saw the tree as good for food, it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took it and gave it to her husband, and he ate it. All through scriptures, you find this attack by the enemy. It was that way with Jesus in, in, in the temptation in the wilderness. It's that way all the way through the word of First John describes it this way. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And those three things cost us our life, folks. In fact, First John chapter 2, where this is mentioned, John says that those things are not from God. Those things are from the world. Do you see how juxtaposed against each other? We have, the, we have God and God's standard on one side. We have the world and the world's standard on the other. What is the world? It's a damned and it's a dying philosophy of life. And when you give yourself over to the world, you're going to die, people. It's dangerous when truth is diluted. Now, I mentioned to you at the beginning that some say man was bad getting better, and the Bible said man was good getting bad, right? Let me tell you something. The old age teaching and the new age teaching are one and the same. This new age stuff that's coming out, that you're getting better and you're rising to your best life now and, and things are getting better in your life, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Apart from God's grace, we're in trouble. It began in the garden. Dear people, this stuff is preached every Sunday by some silver-tongued and silk-clothed preacher. But it's a lie. I've been reading the last, uh, last several months. I, I've been spending a lot of time in the book of Jeremiah. Okay, I don't know if you know much about Jeremiah, but I want to tell you, he... He was a preacher of righteousness in a bad time in the nation of Israel. And, man, he, he preached 44 years, and he never had a convert. I'd like to preach 44 years. Where's Mark? 44. Where's our youth pastor? Dude, show yourself on Sunday, okay? Say you preach, young man. 
44 years and you don't win anybody to the Lord, what would you do? That's what Jeremiah did. And in the course of the book of Jeremiah, I'll tell you, he pins the preacher's ears back. He slams people. He takes them to, he castigates the preachers. And let me tell you, gang, now listen to me. He tells them what they didn't want to hear. And the fact of the matter is, we don't want to hear it either. I understand that. You don't want to hear it. None of us like to hear these kinds of truths. We want everybody to be happy, don't we? I understand that. Man, my, my spiritual gift is encouragement. I, my, my idea of spiritual fellowship is partying, you know? I like to party hardy. That's, that's my spiritual... I don't like preaching this stuff. I don't like sharing this hard stuff. Nobody... You don't like it. I don't like it. Jeremiah didn't like it. He was called the weeping prophet because he cried all the time for the nation. And yet God had called him to share the truth. He would have rather went around slapping everybody on the back and said, it's all going to be okay. But God wouldn't let him. God has not let me. Because I think it's that important. And it's that challenging to us in our churches today. Let me, let me read to you uh, Jeremiah 6, 13 and 14. He says the same words in Jeremiah 8, but, but listen, listen to what he, how he pinned their ears back. For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. Now notice verse 14. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace. But there is no peace, you see. The word superficially means to be light. Maybe to, to, to not have the heaviness of truth, but the lightness of a lie. To, to maybe whet a, a, an appetite. Paul, when he was getting old, getting ready to die, he wrote to a, a young preacher boy. And he said, Timothy, the time's going to come, Timothy, when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They will turn away their ears from the truth. And they will turn to lies. Dear people, I want you to know, my dear people, my church, listen to me. Dilution, watering down truth, is dangerous. Don't you water down truth to your kids. Even if it causes a discussion. Even if it causes a little bit of a challenge. My goodness. Even if it causes you a bad feeling, don't, don't, please don't water down truth to your kids. Well, one last thing in verses 8 through 11, and you'll just have to kind of look there. The last thing that I think that, that really struck me here was that departure is deadly. 
We find that basically in verses 8 through 11. Again, what, what, what I want you to know is that judgment, God's judgment is painful, okay? And God's people suffer along with God's judgment as well as the ungodly do, right? I mentioned to you last week that God's judgment comes in a couple forms. There is, first of all, what's called God's remedial judgment. And I, I mentioned to you last week, that's the, the disciplines of God. Okay? That's to get our attention, to call us back. It's, it's like when I was a child and I would do something. My daddy, you remember I told you, I thought my name growing up was bend over, right? Well, that's what daddy did to me when I was a child. He gave me remedial judgment, and it hurt. And he'd always say, I'm doing this because I love you. And that's what you say. But sometimes it's fun, isn't it? That's the remedial part. God does that. Ultimate judgment, though, comes when the remedial is no longer effective. And God says, enough. You look at the name, you read the Old Testament. Why did Jeremiah preach those messages? Because he knew that the nation was in, in, in dire straits. And he knew if they didn't turn around, God was going to do what God promised to do. And they didn't turn around. And God did what he promised to do. In fact, he, he wiped out the temple. The, David collected it. Solomon built the temple. It, it symbolically housed the presence of God. And they began to worship the temple more than the God of the temple. And God leveled it. And the nation persisted in their sin. And what did God do? He took them away to captivity. See, what I want you to understand is that departure is, is, is deadly. Let's look at that. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, cool of the day. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Sin always makes you hide from the presence of God. He said, where are you? I heard the sound of you. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And because of that, there was a curse placed upon the ground, placed upon uh, even childbirth, placed upon Adam in his life, and ultimately, you die. Now, I want to show you something that I think is pretty important. If you look in chapter 2, the last verse of chapter 2, this is before the serpent came, before sin entered, universal sin. Verse 25, you see that there? The man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Okay? When, when the scriptures say naked and unashamed, it's more than not having clothes on. Okay? It means that there was nothing to hide. There was no reason to hide the man from the woman or the man and the woman from God. Everything was pure. There was no reason for anything to be hid or that anything was bad. Some said the age of innocence. But when sin entered, what happened immediately? There began to be a division between the man and his wife and a division between them and their God. They began to hide. They began to cover up. You see, before there was no guilt and there was no shame. 
But now after they sin, their lives were marked, first of all, by guilt, which is a position. You leave here, go home, and you drive 80 miles an hour, and Bryant's or Benton's finest stop you. Guess what? You're guilty. That's a position you're in. When sin came, there was a position of guilt. Shame came. That's a feeling. They were ashamed before they were naked and unashamed. Now they begin to cover and hide themselves and they're ashamed. Why is there shame? Because shame is a feeling. When you sin, there's something inside of you that says, something's not right with me. There's something very desperately wrong with me. Something has to be covered up for me. And so when sin came, there was guilt, there was shame, there was fear. There was a dread. Why they hid from God. They didn't want to be in People who continually sin, they don't want to be in the presence of God. What happens when someone in church starts having struggles in either their marriage or their job or their decisions or they're given over to alcohol or drugs? Or so what happens to them? They leave the church. Why do they leave the church? Because hopefully at church is the presence of... They don't want the presence of God. They want to hide from God. That's what happened. They knew they couldn't stand in His presence. So they hid. And dear people, they covered up. And God came walking in the garden and says, Where are you? Listen, God didn't need a GPS. It had nothing to do with location. It had to do with position. They knew they were in trouble. And when man departs from God, when a people depart from God, when a church departs from God, and when a nation departs from God, you know what ensues? Death ensues. If you were to continue to read, you'd see the pronouncement. Look at, look at verse 19. Let's, let, we'll stop there. This is what he says to Adam. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, Till you re notice, return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I want you to know that departure from God always brings death. Don't you let any slick preacher tell you different. Okay, well, what do we do? If, if, this, if this story laid out for us the attack of the enemy and the schemes of the enemy, if this attack lays out for us the results, then what, what are you and I to do? How, how are you going, when you leave the sanctuary, and in the morning you got to go back to the real world and somehow make out, eke out a living or what, how are you going to do it? Let me, let me give you three things and we're through, okay? If deception is subtle, then dear people, we must understand truth. The truth shall set you free. You must understand truth. That means you have to understand the times in which we live. That's what I've been saying to you for the last month. You have to read the wind rightly. You have to use wisdom. If deception is subtle and there's a slow turning down of the lights, then spiritually you better get your eyes adjusted. You better be aware of it. Number two, if dilution is dangerous, then not only must we understand truth, we must clearly establish truth in our lives. 
Man, our kids, our family deserve that. Regardless of which ways the winds blow, we must clearly establish and set some windbreaks, some non-negotiables. Dear people, you've got to have some lines of demarcation in your life around your family. You have to have some standards that are non-negotiable, even if it costs you your life. That's what we must do. We have to have safe havens where there's stability, where there's security for our families, that they can run to and say, I'm safe here. So we must understand truth. We must establish truth. And if departure is deadly, then you and I must resolve to live in truth. Regardless, we must. And in doing that, we must know, confidently know, that we're going to end this thing in victory. We're what the Bible calls the overcomers. Now listen, that's not a passive resignation. We just accept what comes. It's an act of resolve. When you grab hold of the things of God. We are the winners. We read the end of the book, didn't we? And while there's the pressures, and while there's the challenges of a nation that's gone wacky, I think, there are those who are faithful to the end. And we must be faithful to the end. I want to tell you, Genesis chapter 3 is an incredible chapter. Genesis chapter 3 is when sin first entered. So universal sin that affects us today became real. But let me tell you something else. Genesis chapter 3 is where the solution to sin also was given to us. Look at verse chapter 3, verse 15, okay? Here's the remedy. Here's the prophecy of the promised Messiah, the deliverer, the rescuer, the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 15, chapter 3. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now notice, he will bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Who's he? Jesus. When did he bruise him on the head? Upon the cross. How does bad become good? How does wrong become right? Oh, dear people, it becomes right through Jesus Christ Lord and Savior. So in the very chapter that shows the destruction and the corruption of man comes the very chapter that gives us the solution. Jesus Christ. Eve's seed is Christ. And Christ dealt a death blow to the very enemy that destroyed the garden. While sin entered through one man, Salvation comes through one man only, Jesus. That's the answer to your problems. That's the solution to your problems. Well, let's pray. We're going to have a time of response. I, I don't know where you're at in all of this. Um, I don't know what God may have said today to you. 
But in a moment, I'll pray and we'll stand and Stu will sing. And some of our guys, our staff, will be down here. If you want to pray, we invite that. If you want to make some decision, we invite that. Um, at least take a moment, push away the world, and maybe re reflect a little bit on this wonderful chapter that God has placed in his Bible for us. Father, I, I thank you that you didn't cover anything up. We tried to do that. We put fig leaves, and then you had to come and kill an animal and shed blood, which is a picture of Christ. We've been trying to cover up ever since. Man, it's just so hard to be honest. It's so hard for us, God, to, to, uh, to just be unashamed. To be naked and unashamed. There's just something in us that has been ruined from that moment in Genesis 3. But God, even though that challenge is there, there's something so beautiful in the restoration and the reconciliation that comes through Christ. Maybe today there's some that need to embrace it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.